0: Back in our study through Psalms. Again, we are looking at Psalm 126. This is a Psalm that uh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. We've actually looked at this Psalm before. If you remember, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before, we walked through the uh, the Song of Ascents. And so we walked through this section of Psalms together week after week after week. And Psalm 126 was uh, one of those particular Psalms. So here we are journeying with the faithful through the Song of Ascents. Again, something we've already covered, but as Pastor Corey has already alluded to, this is something that really fits well uh, with this morning's message. Um, we, we sang about it a moment ago. You heard it read. Actually, I believe we read a part of it this morning as well with our opening. So yeah, it's just been Psalm 126 has been all over us uh, today. So I just want to look at this together now again for this particular Psalm. Uh, the Psalm uh, 126 was probably something that was sung by the priests, sung by people together uh, in preparation for festivals or in preparation for worship as they, uh, in essence, ascended. The stairs into the temple to prepare for worship. So when we actually read Psalm 126 together, we are reading and singing something that the faithful would have sung themselves. Now, Psalm 126, when you read it, it actually reads similar uh, to what would be considered a community lament. However, as we look further into this psalm, we will clearly see that this community lament style, though stylistically maybe meant to be a lament, was actually more of a remembrance of the restoration that God had done for the people in the past, but then at the same time a prayer of restoration for what God can and will do in the present. And so as we think through this psalm together, I want to ask us a couple questions just to kind of remember as we walk through this psalm together. First of all, have you ever looked back on something to see the hope that can be found for the future? Like, do you, do you have a moment in your life, here's what I mean by that, do you have a moment in your life where you're like, you know what, I saw God work in and through this moment, or I saw God work in and through this person, and if God can do it here, then God can do it anywhere. I mean, maybe we've had people that we know of in our life who've come to faith in Christ, and when we first met them, we were like, no way this brother, no way this sister is coming to faith in Christ, and then all of a sudden, you see them years later, and then boom. They have. And then you thought to yourself, man, if God can do it here, he can probably more than likely do it again. You see, there are times where We have to see as believers the the faithfulness of God in the past in order to be able to spot the hope that we now have for the present and also for the future. And so this is actually where we find the faithful as they sing this psalm together. So let's just read it again. This is Psalm uh, 126. Let's just read it together and then we'll unpack it as we go. So here we go. Psalm 126, a song of ascents, and we read. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Man, as you can clearly begin to pick up on this vibe clearly not the lament we thought the faithful were going with, but obviously a psalm that is filled with promise and hope. And so let's just unpack this together. If we look again at verses 1 through 3, here in this first section, we literally have the faithful basically praying a prayer of remembrance of God's restoration of what he has done for them in the past. And so when you look at verses 1 through 3 again, you're literally seeing the faithful recalling. Or recounting a time where God restored the fortunes of Zion. Now, this restoring of the uh, fortunes actually refers back to when the Israelite people were freed from Babylonian imprisonment. Now, again, if you know anything about um, our history, our our church history, when you go back and study uh, just Israel's history and you see their imprisonment in Babylon, we can see that when the people were freed, it wasn't because of any political. Political reason that they were freed. It wasn't because there was any war that was going on, but literally you have a moment in, in history where the people were freed, and there's only one way that it can be explained, and it was divine intervention. Like, there was just no other reason for the Babylonians to let the Israelites go, and yet they did. And so there had to be some sort of divine intervention that took place then. Now, it goes on from there to talk about how these people were like those Who dream. And now, when we read this phrase, literally the faithful are saying that they are recalling their own amazement and wonder at what God had done. They were basically saying it was almost like a dream. Like I I could not even for this moment fathom that this was happening. Now, the only thing I could equate this to is. I remember the day before I got married uh, to Allison, and uh, Allison was with her girls, and they were doing their thing. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing it, and they were having a good time. And the moms were there, and they were doing whatever whatever the women folk do. I don't know. I don't want to know. I'll probably find out one day being a father of four girls. But anyway, um, I remember I was at uh, the hotel with my brothers. Um, My brothers in Christ, um, we had just had a worship service together the evening before and a time of prayer together. It was just really a powerful time. Um, Brothers that I love, went to school with, high school, college, just men who had been instrumental in my faith and my walk. And so uh, we decided to be real spiritual. And while the ladies were doing their thing, we would do our thing spiritually. And so we went to the indoor pool uh, because that's spiritual, right? And we were sitting there hanging out and there was this really awkward moment of where we were all just sitting there hanging out in the pool talking and everybody's just staring at me. And so I finally just asked him, I was like, why are you guys just looking at me? And I didn't know what to expect the answer was. I thought it was one of those they were gonna say, dude, you're the groom, like this is awesome. But literally my, my, one of my best friends, still my best friend to this day, Greg Rents, um, instrumental brother in my life uh, and just a great encouragement, and accountability partner, very transparent brother, looked at me and said, brother, I can't even believe that we're sitting here at the weekend of your wedding, and you are the one getting married. And I was like, I don't even know how to take that right now, Greg. He's like, no offense, but none of us in this room thought this day would ever come. And somehow, by God's grace, you found a woman to say yes, and we don't know how that happened. So tell us the story. And I was like, I really don't know what to say. He's like, I know, and that's what's blowing us all away. And so I was thinking about this moment. He and I were actually talking about this, and I was like, "Greg, I don't." I talked to him later about it at the rehearsal. He's like, "Dude, this this whole thing is surreal. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable." And I was like, "You know, as a man who's getting married, you you feel the same way, you guys who you've been married. You know what it's like? It's almost like a dream. I mean, it really is. It's if you take a a chance and a moment to look around and kind of scan the audience who's at your wedding, it's it's just unfathomable to realize the different people who have been in your life at some point. All of them gathered." in one room to celebrate what God is doing. And so literally, that's the the closest I can to equating what the Israelites must have been feeling. Like they must have been thinking, this is a dream. They were amazed, they were in wonder at what God was doing. And then they took it a step further and they said that even the nations, the nations, those around the Israelites, even they were amazed with God's care for his people because clearly they were now seeing that the people of God were being restored. And it was for no no rhyme, no reason whatsoever. In fact, when you get into verse 2, it then again speaks of the nations. And it says um, that it was said, and then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now when we read this phrase, literally what we have again is the, the Israelite nation had basically become a living example of the living testimony of what God can do in the life of his people. And so now the nations were watching the restoration of, of the Israelite nation, and they were seeing God at work in a wonderful and a very Powerful way. And so when we pause here at verse 2 and we think about verse 2 in light of who we are today as believers and who we are as a church, the question we have to ask ourselves now is when people see us, when people, and here's what I mean by us, when people see us as a church, as a body of believers, and as a faith family, do they see the wonder and the work of God? and what he is doing for his people. When people look at our lives and they they speak of our lives, do they say, man, there is something unique and wonderful about who you are, and it's because of God at work in you? You see, I ask that question because I'm concerned that the American Evangelical Church is forgetting who we are. And so now, instead of people seeing the, the wonderful work of God within us, they're seeing the, the, the very weak work of very soft political stances and all the things that we hate. So when was the last time people looked upon a church and, and marveled and wondered and said, man, look at what God is doing through those people? See, we already have this question being asked by the time we get to verse two. Get into verse three, and again, we learn, what is the phrase here? The Lord has done great things. Now, again, we know that the great thing uh, during this particular time was being released from bondage. Um, and so here, again, in this Psalm of Reflection, uh, we're literally seeing a recalling of past liberation, past freedom, but then notice what the wording says here. We are seeing what the Lord has Done, And so now again, there's this past tense of God at work and what he has done in the past. And then notice it has the phrase, and we are glad. Now pay attention to the faithful because now they're singing to one another that they are thankful for what the Lord Did But then when it says that we are glad, they're not only glad for what God has done for their past, but notice now in the phrasing of we are glad, they are now excited and joyous for what the Lord can do. You see, even they understood that if the Lord has led us before and we've seen God do good things before, then surely we know that God will lead us now. And so for us as believers, again, this is a verse, by the time you get to verse three, this is a simple phrase for us. It comes down to this, trust in God. Trust in God and not the troubles around us. Trust in God and not the frustrations that are around us. Dare I say trust in God and and not your local media outlet. That stings. Trust in God. In a time where we live in so much uncertainty, so much confusion, where people have no idea how things are going to end, we know. Pick up the Bible and read and trust in what God can do. Because again, if God has provided before, if God was with his people before, then surely we today can rest in knowing that God is with us now. Now, from here, we move into verses 4 through 6, and this is actually where this psalm changes because in this section, we actually now find a prayer for renewed restoration. So 1 through 3, we were talking about a, a prayer of remembrance. Now we find a current prayer for renewed restoration. And this prayer begins by saying, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. In other words, these are the faithful saying, God, show us your mercy now, just as we have seen your mercy in the past. And then from there, we get this incredible image of the streams of Negeb. Now, some scholars would actually, uh, have actually said that the people were praying for a faithful crop, for a faithful um, just harvest. Um, they were praying for God to bring rain to a barren area. However, when you begin to study the area and you see this, the phrase, like the streams of Negeb, what we understand is they are literally praying for an area that was often dry and often barren but when the rains would come these rains would then fill the gullies and this dry and barren land would then turn into a green land that was ripe with harvest. Now from there they speak of this seed for sowing and so here now the people are asking for a renewal that is similar to asking God for good crops. In other words, we see a call now to fruitfulness that could ultimately turn into a call of renewed faithfulness by the people of God. And so, again, when we think about it in light of the modern church and what we are seeing today, we have to now ask ourselves when was the last time as a faith family we prayed not just for one another, but we prayed for God to give our church a renewed faithfulness, or better yet, for God to give our church a renewed vision, because here's the reality, and um, I recognize as I look around this room, I'm really preaching to the choir tonight, so um, I don't know, we are recording this good, so maybe this will connect with somebody at home, but here's the reality. Many of us are serving in multiple areas in our life right now, and everybody in this room in some way, shape, or form is either actively involved in multiple ministries in our church, or they desire to be actively involved in multiple ministries in our church. times and schedules free up, but here's the reality. What we have is with the people in here and in the areas that we serve, often we can become frustrated and we become tired and we become just hurt over the amount of work uh, that needs to be done in the church. And I'm, I'm looking specifically at my people who are on building and grounds. You know and feel this uh, all too well. This is near and dear to your heart because we were just having a conversation this morning about how as soon as we prepare to start an update to the church, it's like the building says, no, no, first you must fix this. And it's something we did not anticipate fixing, like water. Um, I don't know what God has in store for us with all the water in our church, uh, but man, I am tired of it. So I am am I might be the opposite of the faithful here I'm praying for dry barren land uh, for a little bit because I'm tired of the buildings being wet so anyway um, all that to say you know with the building and grounds you've got a committee that's that's just worn out because of the constant state of work they have been in and so here's the question we have to ask ourselves as a faithful family how are we praying for our leaders to have a renewed vision How are we praying for our our ministry teams and our committees? And, And if you're on a committee, how are you praying for each person that's on that committee to have a renewed vision and a renewed faithfulness in what God can do? Because again, as we see here in this prayer, if God has done it before, and let's be honest, we recognize here at our church we have a rich history here, okay? It's not lost on anybody who is a member of this church. We recognize there is a rich and beautiful 52 going on 53 year history of Southside Baptist Church. And so the reality is this, is if we can look to our history and see what God has done with our past, then why would we ever begin to doubt what it is that God can do with our future? And so as a church, a church that is living in COVID, a church that is living in a constant state of change because everything in our world is currently changing, probably more so than any time in the history of the church in the United States, in a time where this is the the constant for us at this moment. How are we praying for our leaders, for our elders, for our deacons, for our our committees, our teachers, our leaders? How are we praying for our students and our children? to continue to have a renewed vision and a renewed faithfulness in what God can do. Again, I want to say this, if he's done it before, then we can rest in knowing that he will do it again. So if we are going to pray, let us pray for God to do a great work in us. Let us pray that God will give us a renewed faithfulness, that God would give us a renewed vision in what it is that he desires to do in this place. Because again, as we have seen with the history of Southside itself, if he has done it in the past then it may not look the same now, but we can rest in knowing that our great God will continue to do a wonderful work in our present and he will carry that wonderful work into our future. So you see, when we read Psalm 126, similar to the words that we read in Isaiah 61 this morning. And then fast forward to our story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. We can know that our future because of Christ is now secure in the liberating joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if we again are going to pray, let us pray in awe and with wonder at what He will do next. And so that is the prayer of the faithful here in Psalm 126.